Welcome to another week of the Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Stacken here, my good friend and co-host of this uh, podcast excursion, this voyage. It is Travis Crins. Travis, good evening. Made a big change, Stacken. What'd we do? Uh, we changed to Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. Oh. Uh, it's, it's much more absorbent. You Over Brawny? And, sure. It's the quicker picker-upper, whatever the hell it is. Or whatever, maybe I maybe I'll switch to bounty. One of whatever the quicker picker upper is, uh, it, it, it's done wonders. It is bounty. Uh, what were you before? Were you like a sparkle man, or were you a? Uh, uh, I think that's what they called it. Uh, or were you? You weren't. You weren't brawny. I don't know. Whatever I am. Well, it's working great now. What uh, what what prompted this change? Just the thing I made up on the fly. I don't know. Okay, well, there we go. There we go. Uh, we begin with golf, and oh man, what a what a game! What a final round of the PGA Championship on Sunday, and I can't tell you how sad I was by the fact that uh, that tr- uh, that uh, Tiger Woods. By the way, it's Viva Viva paper towels is what I was thinking of, not Vibe. I don't know what the hell. But anyway, Tiger Woods had a phenomenal round the lowest Sunday he's ever shot at a major and he still came up just short to Brooks Kepka and I look at two shots in particular the one I think it was the putt on was it 11th or it was the 10th or 11th where one more like a half a revolution more of the ball and it would have fallen and uh, then the bogey on the par 3 sixth hole those were two shots uh, that I'm sure he'd like to have back, and he would have been in a tie, would have forced a playoff, perhaps with Brooks Kepka. But oh man, I wanted Tiger to win so bad, and I'm I'm disappointed that Brooks Kepka won uh, because Tiger absolutely stole the show. Another putt late, rimmed out, would have been rimmed out. He said he said all these records were the best, this the best that he's ever shot in a major. Uh, his off the tee was horrendous. Yep. And he would come back with these iron shots, which were fantastic. So, you know, a lot of people saying that's the best he's played, but he can play a whole hell of a lot better than he played. I mean, he should have got fairway. Yeah. My God. He had to scramble so much in this in this final round. Uh, what did I see? The stat 0 for 7 on fairways on the front nine, and yet yep. he had four birdies. I. I think that's a, just a remarkable stat line to be able to shoot that well on the... I mean, he had to pull a lot of shots. Like you said, fantastic shots. He had to pull shots out of his ass. I mean, this was this was vintage Tiger in terms of the shots he was able to pull off. But man, you know, if he could just get his driver going, look out rest of the tour because as long as that back holds up, if he can if he can get the drive going, driver going, the, the Tiger Woods is back. And he's going to win a couple of majors, I feel like, assuming he can keep this up. Hope so. He's come close. Don't know if he can win one. But he's never come from behind on a Sunday to win one. He's always been in the lead. Right. So, not in the lead heading into the final day. He's never won one. So, he has to, at this point, have the lead. And he has not done that yet. Uh, but it was it was exciting. Um the U.S. Open was there. The uh, British Open was exciting a few weeks ago. I would say this was a little bit more exciting, even though he never held the lead right. like he did uh, at the Open. 
never held the lead. He was well, within a shot at one point, all alone in second, and finished in second. But this uh, this had a little bit more buzz to it. And this was, yeah, this is what golf is missing. This is what golf uh, just won't have without him. And, yeah, ratings were through the roof. Biggest in eight, nine, ten years. Yep, since 2009. This, was the, this is the difference between him and when he's on and the shots he makes compared to anybody else. And, you know, there, there's nobody like him. Uh, this only further strengthens the argument that I've made, that you have made uh, with me regarding golf, that, yes, you can have stars, you can have really good golfers, but you don't have that star power to pull people in. And that's what Tiger Woods does. Ratings up 69%. I mean, this is... this they It draws in the average sports fan that maybe doesn't care about golf. It, it draws in anyone who knows who Tiger Woods is, which should be practically everyone in this country. I mean, it it's sensational. The, the place uh, Bellarive was rocking on Sunday, it was packed. The, I mean, it, they had massive crowds there. And I guarantee you, they weren't all there to see Brooks Kepka and Adam Scott in the final round. I mean, they they barely had anyone following them. It was all Tiger Woods and Gary Woodland, uh, and Woodland just happened to be in the group with Tiger. But when you have Dottie, he was never shown on TV. I didn't see. I barely saw a single Woodland shot. They right. Showed every Tiger Woods shot. They didn't show any. Uh, they showed his butt of the 18th. Yeah. I think they probably showed him tee off. They didn't show this guy. One goddamn time. No, well, because he wasn't really a factor down the stretch. I think he no. made a couple of bogeys. Er, early on, they showed more of his shots, but then he bogeyed, and it wasn't worth it. But when you have Dottie Pepper, who was, who was like the course guy, I don't know, like the, the course analyst, you know, she's following the main group. She isn't following the last group with the leader, with Brooks oh. Kepka. She's following Tiger Woods, who was the third to last group. So close enough, but... That's what everyone wants to know. That's what everyone wants to see. And, again, I, I just... It, it's If Tiger's back, golf is going to continue to soar. I like Jordan Spieth. I think he can do stuff. We'll get to Brooks Kepka here in a minute because I think he actually has some... Um, I've, I dare I put, pull him into this Rory McIlroy kind of feeling oh, that I, I had about, what, like uh, seven years ago or so. But, I mean... This is what Tiger Woods does. He, he makes it exciting. It's must-see TV. And, I mean, it sucks that he didn't win, but at least he was competitive right down to the very end, and he made Brooks Kepka work. I think that's the big thing, is that even after he finished, Brooks Kepka still needed to pull out a couple of good shots and, you know, par a couple of holes. If he had gotten, in like, an errant shot or whatever... You you never know. Tiger Woods would have been right back in it. Maybe maybe uh, Kepka bogeys the final two holes, and all of a sudden you're in a playoff. So Tiger Woods was in it to the very end, and I really think that's all you can ask for from him. Brooks Kepka he made some mistakes early on, but then at the end he shut it down. There's a good leaderboard, uh, but if Tiger Woods wasn't around, I would wouldn't really have watched much of it. Brooks Kepka doesn't matter to me. Adam Scott doesn't matter to me. Uh, Justin Thomas, fantastic player. Don't care at all. He was around a little bit. Um, so again, if, if Tiger Woods wasn't there, I wouldn't have been watching uh, as much as I did. Mm-hmm. I would have wouldn't have cared at all. And just the the final group, the 18th hole. 
because when Brooks kept uh, had a little, you know, two inch putt to get a par, and that one that won him the tournament, and it didn't seem like anybody cared. Was there there wasn't a big roar from the crowd. It was all right. This guy he tapped in for a par, and the tournament's over. Did- no, it was just weird. Nobody cared. It was like, all right. We we saw the show. The show was the two groups before him. Turns out wasn't uh, Brooks Kepka. Uh, dare I say, Kepka is the Ed Hockley of the golfers. Man, has that guy got some muscles on him. Or uh, maybe Ed Hockley is the Brooks Kepka of the NFL officials. Anyway, uh, uh, I mean, you're right. And th- there's all this talk about, well, we're a lot of people watching Tiger. The people want to see Tiger both in person and on TV to root against him. Based on the people in the stands... The people at the, the course, course, they all wanted him to win. Yeah, I would say if you if you had people who wanted to see him fail, it was a very small percentage. I'll go as low as 80-20 in terms of people that wanted to see Tiger win. You wouldn't have heard all the roars if, uh, like when Tiger made all his birdie putts and whatnot, if you wanted to see him fail. So that's, that's an argument that I think can be thrown out the window. Just the pictures from tournament the 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 photographers the cameras and the groups i mean it was it was it was amazing nobody we haven't seen that since he was good 10 years ago we haven't seen that since then and uh, we forgot what that was instead of just having your normal groups out there or ten thousand people following him around it was unbelievable Again, this I'm just going to go back to it because I think it's a point that I have to continue to emphasize. And this was the biggest, this is the biggest reason here, that Tiger Woods is golf. Golf is, okay, golf is that niche sport, uh, dare I say. Yes, you have a lot of good players. And I, I truly believe that Jordan Spieth, if he can pull it together here and become dominant, he could be that... Guy, not he's not going to get to the level of Tiger Woods, but I think he can kind of get there. He needs a little more personality, but people really people know him. People know that he's a very good golfer, so I think he could kind of get into that superstar status. And some people will say he's a superstar already. I I maybe can buy that to a degree, but he doesn't care nearly the clout or the stature that Tiger Woods does. And again. If it's if Tiger's not in contention, people just don't really care about golf apart from the avid golf fans. And the avid golf fan will say, "Well, that's fine. I don't need you know, like we don't need you to watch. We we love the sport for what it is, and it, it's beautiful and all that stuff. That's fine. But if you're gonna eventually talk about you know these purses that will they continue to be as huge as they are? I mean, you, you do need eyeballs on the TV." And if you don't get that, sponsorships are eventually going to go down. Maybe the the schedule, the number of tournaments, maybe that goes down. And all of a sudden, this pool of money starts getting smaller and smaller. And it's because you don't have any a trend setting a trend a trend setting star. Maybe Brooks Kepka can, can become that. Certainly, I think Jordan Spieth can. But no one moves the dial like Tiger Woods, and that was clearly evident in this case this past weekend. I think things will be fine. They'll say the same if Tiger Woods dies today. Golf will be fine. But if he's around, then they just have that extra that they can get. So I think the money will continue to go up and everything will be fine. But if he's around, then they've got a chance to grow exponentially bigger. 
Right. No, I, I, I and hopefully, you know, they, they pick them, you know, to go to the go to the Ryder Cup here, and you know, that could be. Uh, I mean, I they got to pick them for yeah. that. He's playing well. He's playing as well as anybody right now. And if you take the the last two majors, he had the best score of anybody combined them. So I don't think there's any doubt he'll be on the Ryder Cup team. I I agree. And I was listening to uh, was it um, Matt Rolfing uh, from the Golf Channel. Matt, Matt Rolfing, Mike Rolfing, uh, someone some Rolfing guy. From uh from the okay. Golf Channel and NBC on uh, Golik and Wingo on Monday, and he said that you know there's all this talk about oh Phil Mickelson seems to be a lock. I don't think Phil's a lock at all. He's really struggled down the stretch here. Why wouldn't you have someone like a Brooks Kepka, a Justin Thomas, a Jordan Spieth in the mix along with Tiger Woods? I don't think Phil's a lock to make the team. He shouldn't. He probably will, but he shouldn't. Even there's plenty of plenty of players playing. Better than he is. But what, there's four captain picks, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, Eric, uh, Tiger Woods, he, uh, Tiger Woods, what he's a, what a captain or co-captain, whatever the hell he is. So, um, he'll be there regardless, but he should be on the team, too. Tiger Woods is now ranked 29th in the world rankings. That's phenomenal. I mean, he was like... <laughs> 2,000 or 3,000. He was somewhere yep. way down there at the beginning of the year. And before before David Schottenker gets on my case about golf and the and the dwindling, you know, if I, I maybe I'm a little harsher about it with the dwindling purses or maybe the, the tournaments, I maybe I went a little too far with that, but I just, I, I don't see golf getting any bigger than what it has been with Tiger Woods. And I think you're just... You know, like when Sergio Garcia won the green jacket last year, that was the lowest rated Masters that we have seen. Or did he win it this year? No. That I, was a couple years ago. It was a couple years ago. See, I, who was the Masters winner this year? How come I don't who remember? Won Kepka won the Open. Yep. U.S. Open on this one. Yep. Who won the British Open? Uh, uh, Francesco Molinari. Molinari won it. That's memorable since I forgot it from three weeks ago. <laughs> Uh, the Masters. Who won the speech shit his pants again? Yep. The Masters. Who won the Masters? Wasn't Dustin Johnson. Wasn't Rory. Wasn't anybody big. I'm looking up here. Mm, who won the fucking Masters? Oh, uh, uh, Patrick Reed. Oh, yes. Everybody's lovable Patrick Reed. So, like, you know, like, it did. These guys are forgettable. Patrick Reed, just the dude. Molinari, yeah. just the dude. Kept just sticks out a little bit since what he's won three. Of the last the six. Mm-hmm. That's him impressive. But he, he didn't know if he was going to play this year, if he was going to play again. He didn't play in the Masters, but he was injured. So this is a complete shock and surprise that he's done it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he'll ever win another major. He's on a, he's on a hell of a run right now. He is. I mean, like he's, I would, he's I, won only one other tournament stateside that's yeah. not a major, and that was the Waste Management Open. I mean, so maybe this is the beginning of a, of a star being born before our very eyes. But uh, dare I say that the the heavy majority, 80 to 90% of the, the people who were watching yesterday, we're not watching because of Brooks Kepka or wanting Kepka to win. It was all about Tiger Woods, yo. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kepka never won another major. I mean, not with the. No, I mean, it's a star-studded field. Like I say, golf has a lot of stars, but they don't have anyone that's truly dominant. Tiger Woods is not going to be dominant again, but we know what he's capable of. Well, and we saw glimpses of that what? on uh, throughout the weekend. 
What would be more surprising? Kepka never wins another major, or Tiger Woods wins like two of them next year? I think Tiger winning two next year would be a little more stunning. More surprising, okay. Yep. Just, just because, again, of where... You know, he's going to win the last two. He should, yeah. You know, I, I agree. He's he's in there. But can you always wonder about the back, and hopefully the back stays healthy because we cl- clearly see after all those back surgeries that he had, he's obvi- more than capable of, of playing with the with the best of them. It seems like the old Tiger's back. He just needs to work a few kinks out with with his drive and but otherwise i mean he's he's spot on he's money so i i hope he's i hope he's there i hope he wins a couple more majors uh but he's getting older as well so i would say him winning two next year would be would be very um that would be more surprising to me but anyway so golf, the golf season, for all intents and purposes, is done. Yes, there's the FedEx Cup, so we'll maybe monitor that, see, because if maybe Tiger Woods will factor into that. Um, do you know who won the the FedEx Cup last year? I think it was Ricky Fowler, was it not? Should have, could have been. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Nobody cares. Okay. Golf, golf season ended Sunday. A lot of people care about the Ryder Cup, but um, other than that, nobody cares about the FedEx Cup. So... We move on to uh, to college football, and another s- terrible story. Uh, we're not talking about you know the college football season coming up here. We have to deal with more shit and more shit with the Big Ten school. Um, I, we're going to have Charlie Hildebrand on later in the podcast here to talk some college football. We're going to preview the ACC and the SEC this week, um, but no doubt I'll have to ask him about Maryland. And the situation there with head coach DJ Durkin. Of course, you have the the Maryland player who died earlier this summer in a workouts, and now you uh, have this big investigation about Durkin and how he be you know berates his players and um, just you know the strength uh, and conditioning coach is kind of an asshole. It just it's a system based on fear. It's just a, it's a toxic environment to say the least over there at Maryland. And uh, DJ Durkin has been suspended or placed on paid administrative leave. As of the recording of this podcast, he still has a job. I'm not sure how. But uh, this is a a situation much apples to oranges comparison, but an overall situation worse because someone died in this case than uh, if if you're comparing it to Ohio State. But Craig James is kidding to shit. That's what I say. Um... (laughs) That, I mean, that whole, makes that look, that situation just look like child's play. That's fine, yeah. He had a concussion, put him in the room, he's fine. And there's the whole culture of football, the tough guys, and, you know, you gotta be tough and you gotta die to eat show for Christ's sake. And they're just dumb. There's more stupid football stuff. These coaches that get up at three in the morning to watch film and how much time they spend on something so meaningless. And it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's not this important. It just you know, the an interesting aspect of this, too, is that it seems now more like the investigation, like the attention is focused more on the culture at Maryland and, and the football team rather than the death of Jordan McNair. And that should be the main focal point of what's going on here is that a player died 
because you pushed him too hard and you had an hour there where you didn't call for medical assistance. I mean, that's the biggest crime in all of this here. So if anything, you should probably face some criminal charges too, right? Yeah, you think so, somebody. But it's F1. I didn't even, I forgot about it or if I even knew about it to begin with. With April or whenever this happened. Uh, Ju- I, I had, June 13th. Uh, it happened a few months ago. And uh, I really didn't hear about it at all. At all. And yeah, they, they, wait, they waited way too long. And this guy died for no reason. So, yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll get fired. I mean, Maryland football's trash. So, he'll get fired. Probably get a job somewhere else, but um, why? Well, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I I don't. I mean, I guess I guess the you know, the incident happened on May 29th. Uh, that's where the you know the workout. That's when the workout took place, and McNair died a couple of weeks later. Um, I I don't see how this guy gets another job, at least not for a very long time. And I don't understand why coaches feel the need to. Put you know instill the fear of God in you know in their program and the play like there's there's different ways of coaching but this does not seem to be a good uh, a good kind of coaching that's for damn sure. You can be different ways. You can be you know a hard ass. You can be uh, like dungy or steak. Be the other way, but um, two different ways both can be effective. Um, it is just terrible. The Big Ten is looking really bad right now. If you want to look at just the history, uh, like the, if we want to just go back to scandals involving the schools here, especially in the football realm, you have, of course, Joe Pond, Penn State, though that was, you know, many years, you know, before, like, the current. It had nothing really to do with the current team or the, any players. It was just Joe Pond was covering up. And then you have Michigan State with uh, you know the the team doctor, and of course that was more gymnastics. But it sounded like Michigan State football had a couple incidents in there as well. So Michigan State running amok. Uh, of course, Ohio State with Urban Meyer. You had min- issue with Minnesota lat- or a couple years ago. Tracy Clay's and you know a bunch of players were suspended. Some were expelled. Now they're they're suing that whole deal. And now this Maryland, I mean, the, the Big Ten is looking bad. You may as well invite Baylor into there and just become the bad boys club. And that then we don't even factor in what Rutgers did a couple years back with their men's basketball team and uh, that coach, uh, coach Rice. And, I mean, similar style of coaching to what uh, what DJ Durkin's doing at, or did at Maryland. So uh, the Big Ten not looking real high in terms of class. Something about football where you can probably take a look at every single football team, Division One at least, in the country. They probably have a half dozen players who have been arrested or could be arrested if they look into it. Uh, I'm sure every football program, without exception, is dirty somehow, some way. It's just a matter of if, if we know about it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, when I was probably. at SDSU, I don't know, I mean, at SDSU, this is small goddamn peas compared to anything else, but I had a class, uh, a geography class, I think it was, with a couple of football players, and they had old worksheets that were the worksheets we used, so they just copied those from years past, which was fine with me. Um, that's uh, academic, whatever you want to call it, it's cheating. They took an old worksheet, and they had it, and they just filled out the current worksheet, which seems the last one. That's, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's about 2. But 
Are we, are, you, are we gonna get SDSU on probation here? We don't want that. I don't give a shit. Whatever. It was, uh, whatever it was, 2008, 2009, 2010. Somebody that you and me both know, I guess, if I probably gave you one guess, you guessed who it was. Yep. And a couple of other pieces, and a couple of other people, uh, football players. So they had the, the old, they had the answers to the, whatever the hell we were doing. So, whatever. Mm. So Maryland, not to again, not a good situation there at Maryland, but uh, there you have it. Uh, and then you know the academic in North Carolina, and yep, just run down the list. USC has had their trouble. Uh, go down the list of Baylor. Just pick, pick a team, pick a state, pick a college. Florida, Miami, all of them, all of them. Louisville is everybody. There is some more news regarding Ohio State. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but apparently uh, Zach Smith he did not inform Urban Meyer that he was arrested and charged with drunk driving in 2013. Not that that really has a whole lot to do with it, but you could just tell that this guy is up to really no good, and the fact that Urban Meyer continued to go to bat for him uh, puts his judgment into even more question in my mind. Yeah, the things that continue to come out, Zach Smith doesn't appear to be uh, a very good person. Beating his wife, drunk driving, I mean, just it just continues to add up. I, doubt, I wonder where he'll end up. Maybe Italy with Art Bryles. Who knows? Maybe he should end up in jail. How about that? Yeah, that would, that would be fine, too. Uh, let's see. Let's move on. Here's what I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Two DUIs or two DWIs, if you get your second one, it should be a mandatory 30 days in jail. Mandatory. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You hear about people that have 10, 20, 30 of them. Like, how is that even possible? After your second, you should be, you know, 30 days. A third, it's probably six months, maybe a year. Then three or more, we should probably lock you up for, I don't know, 10 years or so. It shouldn't get, it shouldn't get past the third. I agree. I know you make you make a very logical arguments here. Um, I, I'm not going to disagree with you on there. Um, NBA released their schedule last week. How excited were you for that? I don't really care at all. Or what are you more excited about when the NFL releases their schedule or the NBA releases their schedule? Uh, NBA just for the Christmas games. Okay. We talked about that last week. We kind of got them right. Yep. Kind of knew most of them. And. Uh, I guess I was surprised Lakers-Cleveland is the fourth game. The, the main game, the 4 3 the 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock game on ABC, Boston-Philadelphia. I thought that would be LeBron and the Warriors. That's not. So, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. The, the schedule is a little little odd, to say the least. I, I would agree on that. But uh, NBA... I mean, the... Philadelphia-Boston probably be more competitive, be a better game. And uh, they continue at October 15th or 16th, uh, just a ridiculous early start and continuing to cut back on back-to-backs. I don't think any team plays four times in five nights, so they just continue to lengthen the season and uh, have, have more days off, which is which is fine. Basketball all year round. Uh, by the way, Carmelo Anthony signed with the Rockets on Monday. Hashtag as expected. Uh, Perfect. Do you want to go to? Well, I'll let. I'll the, let's. 
where do you think I want to go stack? Oh, let's go to the baseball. The baseball, right? Right. That's right. The there's a lot. I even I talked about baseball in the blog on Monday. I hope you're proud of me because I actually actually well, talked about some stuff that happened over the weekend. Um, if what was the most notable thing to you that happened over the weekend? Because to me, it's the Mariners going down to Houston and sweeping all four games, and uh, Diaz, their their uh, closer, getting a save in each game. It was that. It was that goddamn throw from the Oakland guy. Loriano. It was amazing. Love that throw. I... Uh, J.L. West. It's all about the West. Oakland and Seattle, they play tonight. Get excited about it. They're in a goddamn dogfight for that final spot, and they're fighting for the division now. So the A.L. West, that, that's, it's all about the West. I, I don't disagree with you at all. Um... And it, I thought it seemed like Seattle was kind of left for dead. You know, they had a very rough yeah. patch there for a while, especially when Oakland got hot and eventually surpassed them. And now the Mariners are are getting back on track here. And that that four game sweep at Houston, you can't under understate how big that is and how much it changes the complexion of the AL West because Houston's no sure thing now to win the division. They're not, but I think they are. I mean, they're the best team. I mean, I would be shocked if they weren't still the run differential again. Um, Mariners are 11 runs better than the Twins. And there is, what, 14-game difference between the two? Yep. Mariners have been outscored by 22 runs, and they are 19 games over. That usually does not happen. 19 games over 500, you've been outscored by 22 runs. You look at another team. What's another team that's 69 and 50? Anybody else 69 and 50? See, the Cubs are pretty close. Cubs are one game. Well, Cubs are about the same. Let's see. Cubs are one percentage point better than Seattle. And the Cubs have outscored their opponents by 93 runs. So, uh, all these one-run wins for Seattle, I don't think they're making the playoffs. Because I just don't think this is sustainable. But Well, if King Felix would get back on track, that would certainly help. Well, he's done, yeah. They moved him to the bullpen. He's just not any good anymore. Maybe he should retire. He's that bad. But, I mean, Oakland, Oakland, Seattle, should be a good series. Should be fun to watch. Uh, Oakland, I don't know how they're doing it. Their starters are just, you look at their starting pitching, and you're like, how is this continuing? It's, it's, it's a bit ridiculous. The the AL West now at least is competitive, like you say, and they're putting the pressure on the Yankees. The Yankees are no shoe in to make the to be the wild card. I know it's likely to happen, but I think but, there are five games up there. there. I mean, they're pretty solid. I'm not, I'm not so sure. I'm not going to put all my eggs in the basket there. The, the NL has the best races by far. The NL East has three teams within six games. The Braves and the Phillies are separated by less than a game. The Brewers are. I mean, Washington. I don't. I mean, I just don't like Washington. Right. They should have won. Okay. They should have beat the Cubs Sunday night. That walk-off grand slam. That that was something else. I think. I mean, wild card for Washington. I don't think they're getting past Atlanta or the Phillies. Uh, so There's only forty games left here. So. Yep, the Cubs are three games ahead of the Brewers, but the Cardinals are charging fast, five and a half games back, so don't count out the Cardinals. You know, baseball's best fans right there. 
And then the uh, the NL West, uh, to me, the, by far the the more most intriguing race. The Diamondbacks lead, but the Dodgers and Rockies are within a game and a half. Uh, it's just this is going to go down to the wire. I'd love to see Arizona and Colorado get in, and the Dodgers get them out. But I think the Dodgers will find a way eventually here to win this division. Rockies swept the Dodgers over the weekend. I think they had three straight walk-off wins at home. So that was a huge series win for Colorado. Colorado is a half game behind the Dodgers. Colorado's been outscored by 17 runs. The Dodgers have outscored their opponents by 96. So it's another two teams with nearly identical records and a huge run differential difference. So that tells you, the, tells you a little something. Yep. Um, I mean, you mentioned the throw by Loreano of the A's. This guy, since being called up from uh, Nashville, AAA affiliate of Oakland, has been phenomenal. He's got a game-winning hit. He's made a couple of nice catches, a couple of putouts, throwouts. I mean, assists. He's he's done very well. Um, so I'm not discrediting him at all. But I, Adam Angle for the Chicago White Sox has done it again. He robbed three home runs last week. He took one back against the Indians. He took a couple on Sunday. He took a couple against the Yankees in back-to-back nights. I, the throw by Loriano was impressive, but what Adam Engel did last week, I will take that over what Loriano did any day of the week. I'll say this. Um, yeah, three catches in a week, that's pretty good. Um... Like every week you have somebody rob a home run. That happens every week. Um, like this throw, I mean, you won't see anything like this all year. So. Yeah, and the, Just the rarity, the rarity of this. This was great. The throw was great. It was right on a rope. But I will the why I take it back a little bit. Uh, in terms of the greatness of the play, I'm not taking away the greatness of the throw. The throw was great. I'm looking at the the play in totality. And the Angel guy is halfway to third when that catch is made. Well, I don't know if it was one the catch is made, but, you know, when you know he, he's halfway to third and then he starts to turn around. So it's not like it was a laser and he was only at second and then back to first. No, this is – it was a little poor base running, though I get it. He looked like it was going to get down and Loriano made a great play. But uh, for Angle to just the, – the timing – of it, not once, not twice, but three times, and I, th- I think that the the catch uh, that he made against the Indians was the best of the three. Well, and on the one play, if the guy doesn't overrun second, there's no play at first. Like the only reason why the play is available to him to make the throw is because of the guy. That's the only reason why it happened. If Fair. the guy's at second base, if the guy's at second, he gets back easily. If he's, I mean, that's the only reason why it happened. Fair, fair point. I, you know what? I will take the. You know what? You're, you're swaying me here. You're, you're swaying me. So. And he, I mean, he caught. It was a good catch. Mm-hmm. And he didn't throw it right away. Like you see him throw it, and oh, guys, I'm gonna get her in as quick as possible. He didn't do that. He saw it. He took a couple of steps. He ran into it. Put his put his body into it. Made a perfect throw. No bounces. I saw it live, and I thought that that had to have bounced, but it did. It was right in the glove, and it was still a pretty close play with with what happened. So it didn't bounce. 
had to he, he had to do what exactly that. If he if it bounces, the guy's saved. Yep. If he doesn't put all of his weight behind it, the guy's saved. So it was a perfect throw, and uh, it, was, it was throw of the year. Fair. Yep. No, I think very fair point. Um, either way, both both players Great. phenomenal Great. plays this last week. So. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Um, anything else baseball related from last week or that you're looking forward to this week? I usually look at the National League. I mean, the Marlins are not good. The Mets are terrible. Uh, the Padres are bad. Besides that, everybody else isn't, isn't all that terrible. Terrible. The Reds are not good, but the Reds, they had a, they started off terrible and there was a stretch like a week or two ago where they were like 41 and 41 over the next 82 games. So that was a pretty good stretch. Uh, the Reds weren't terrible. The Reds yeah, like, had like three guys uh, near the top of baseball, like on-base percentage or war. They had three of the very best players in the league, so that's good for them. So as a whole, the National League, not too bad. Uh, kind of the opposite uh, on the American League. You have five really good teams, and you got five just awful teams. I saw on ESPN Keith Olbermann make a... Uh, a well-reasoned argument or just going through Jacob deGrom and how the lack of run support that he's getting and how good his ERA is and just going back through history and, and also showing you know the complete opposite spectrum you know guys with a 4.41 ERA and somehow they get 20 wins like they would go 20 and 7 uh, the Mets are historically bad at driving in runs when DeGrom is on the mound. And I I know that the smart option is to go with Scherzer because Max Scherzer's been great for Washington. I mean, he's just been phenomenal. But if DeGrom wins the NL Cy Young, that is not, I'm not going to be offended by that because he's having a stellar season. What is the number one, what's the most important thing in baseball? It's You're when, an offensive player. What's the most important thing? Uh, home runs? Runs batted in? No, 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 no. It's kind of scoring runs. If you're a pitcher, the most important thing, not giving up runs. Those are the two most important things. Those are the two things that decide the games. Uh, Scherzer's got a ton of strikeouts. That's good. Uh, DeGrom's ERA, I would say, is significantly lower. It's not quite a half run. Almost, it's almost a half run lower. I would vote for Degrom as MVP or as uh, Cy Young. Do you think he it's will? Be... Just... Yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I don't think he will because of the stupid goddamn wins. You shouldn't even pay attention to wins. You shouldn't even look at the wins. Um, again, run prevention. How well did you prevent runs from scoring? Uh, nobody's done that in the National League better, uh, better than Degrom and. Um, he didn't have a great game tonight against the Yankees, uh, but they scored him some runs. So he'll get the win, and it won't be one of his better starts. He gave him a couple of runs, but his area is one seven seven, and nobody's close to that. Do, do does what Olbermann did does that help raise the status or the stock of him yeah. and his Cy Young award? Because maybe now people are starting to realize just how obscure, how odd this is, how rare, and just how good Degrom has been. I think people know. You look at his record. I mean, it was like six and seven, seven and seven. Like people, I think people know. 
And then uh, I think Scherzer will win. I think it's going to be a close race. I would give it to DeGrom. Um, American League is going to be close between Trevor Bauer and Chris Sale. Um, I would give it to Sale at the moment. He missed a couple of weeks. Uh, that might be a difference there. There's a 20 inning difference right now. But uh, Chris Sale, what are the last 10 starts? So probably the best, maybe ever. I think he's the first, he's the first pitcher ever in a 10 start run to strike out a hundred, at least a hundred batters and give up five or fewer earned runs. Mm-hmm. That's never happened. That's never happened ever. And he, that's what, that's what he's done. His last 10 starts, at least a hundred strikeouts, less than five runs. So that's the best ever. You say that uh, people should know about DeGrom. But I will also remind you that people should know just how bad Sam Houston State is in the FCS level come playoff time, yet they still uh, will put them as number two over the likes of, say, uh, SDSU or um, uh, a more deserving team from the Missouri Valley. So you would think people would know, but sometimes they don't. Um, I think, you know, the voters, the media, I think they, they, they know what's going on. Uh, football, the NFL, Roquan Smith has finally ended his holdout, so he will report to Bears camp, so that's good for the Bears, I suppose. Uh, the Vikings, uh, Kirk Cousins looked very good against Denver, 4 for 4, had three catches, or three passes to Diggs, three completions, including a touchdown, so they're well in sync, it's still a work in progress, but have to like what you saw. Um, how much did, of this game did you see, if any? It's all the first series. All right. And that was a good first series, wasn't it? Yes. The Braves have a pitcher, Tukey Toussaint, Zach, and Tukey Toussaint. It's a very nice name. It's very alliterative. I like alliteration. Major League debut, did well against the Marlins. Six innings, two hits, one run. Count me in. Well, it's the Marlins, Krenz. Come on. You and I could probably pitch pitch well against the Marlins. Remember the name. Tuki Toussaint. Tuki Toussaint. A name you'll never forget. Do you remember who won the Masters? We already talked about this. Who was the 2018 Masters champion? Stupid-ass Patrick Reed. Okay. Very very good. Guarantee I'll forget it by the time I go to bed tonight. (laughs) Um, I will never forget. Tuki. Toussaint. Tuki Toussaint. Uh, Baker Mayfield, Tyrod Taylor looked very good. I'm all in on the Browns this year, or like the, in terms of the stock of them maybe having playoffs, something for the playoffs. for the future. I know you say playoffs. I'm just going to give them five or six wins this year, so that was good. Any any other preseason notes, items you want to get into after week one? No. Okay. Give me your AFC playoff teams. Right now? Patriots. Yep. Steelers. Yep. Then everybody, I, I don't got a clue. Uh, Texans, Texans, Jaguars, Broncos, and Chargers right now. But I might take the one. Broncos. Of, I might take one of those out and sub in Baltimore. The Broncos. The Broncos. I, you know, I think Case Keenum can do it. I think the the defense is yeah, going to be solid. Um. Yeah, I. I'm very high on the Broncos, but uh, I might uh, might sub the Ravens in for one of them. But uh, yeah, 
So there, Nick Easton out for the year for the Vikings. That sucks. Uh, that's not good at all. Uh, bulging disc or something in his neck. Um, not good there. So we'll see what the Vikings offensive line can do going forward here. And uh, we'll see. They're doing a, a fantasy marathon Monday and Tuesday. 29 straight hours of fantasy football coverage on ESPN's uh, family of networks. So fascinating stuff. I don't know how you could talk about fantasy football for 29 hours, uh, 29 straight hours before the season even begins. But I don't Here's the thing. Here's, this is what I don't like. No, nobody knows what's going to happen. And they're going to spend 30 hours talking about what they think is going to happen. This guy is going to have this many yards. This guy is going to have this many touchdowns. I, mean, I have it on now. David Johnson, the third-ranked player. Fucker didn't even play last year. Well, that's a so broken wrist. I think I... I... That's right. I mean, I mean, here's your... If, he, if he's healthy, by all means. I mean, we know... I mean, what a waste of goddamn time this is. Saquon <laughs> Barkley fucking tweaked his leg. Who gives a shit? Well, he'll, be, uh, sure, he'll be a first-round pick, I'm sure. I don't give a shit about any of this. Did Elvin Kamara, who the fuck had Elvin Kamara as like a top fantasy running back? Not a goddamn soul. What was he? He was goddamn well, great. Well, now this year they will. What, what we, and this year they will, and who the hell knows what he's going to do. Well, with Mark Ingram suspended the first four games, I think he's, uh, uh, he's got he's the chance to be good. But we have no idea who's going to be good. Is Pat Mahomes going to be great? Maybe, maybe not. Any of these rookie quarterbacks going to be great? Who the hell knows? Right away. It's it just, you know. We try to pick the games who's going to win. We take our guesses. We have no idea. We take educated guesses. We always pick the favorites. And, you know, they're an hour five of this goddamn thing. Number one, Le'Veon Bell. Number two, Todd Gurley. Number three, the fucking David Johnson. Number four, Ezekiel Elliott. Oh, Zeke Elliott at four? Yeah, nope. Four. Antonio Brown at five. Saquon Barkley at six. Fucking Saquon Barkley's never played a goddamn game of life. He's number six. Alvin Kamara, seven. Kareem Hunt, eight. Those two guys right there, they were rookies last year. They were. Nobody knew who the fuck they were. There they are, top ten players. Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt, who had amazing years, not a soul. They probably, Alvin Kamara probably went undrafted in pretty much every draft. Kareem Hunt, I don't know, maybe somebody picked him up late. But, I mean, we're just wasting our time here trying to figure <laughs> out what, what, I mean, let's, uh, can we go back to last year's rankings? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he was hurt, injuries happened. Yep. Yeah, it, it is, that's, that's the name of the game. The helmet rule sucks. Uh, I hope the NFL changes that. Uh, I doubt it's going to happen, though. The NFL anthem issues are still alive and well, and people are making a big deal. Uh, I was happy to see all these. I was happy with that. That was good. Well, that was good. I mean, it's, it's just stupid. It's, the whole situation is just stupid. How I mean, if you... If you here's the deal. I know that the, I think the majority of people, or I would hope the majority of people know what they're doing by now. They don't. Uh, I bet you the majority of the people, my dad asked me the other day, what the hell are they doing? He didn't know. Well, he said they're protesting, getting shot by the police. He says, what does that have to do with the flags? So I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> people, just, people, people do not know. 
people do not know. Well, t- the media should know, though. But yet, why do they keep? They why do yes, they, they keep do. tweeting it out? Like, why are they saying who is it isn't on the field? You know, if they didn't say who the four Jacksonville Jaguar players were that weren't on the field, no one would know and no one would care. We would get on with our life and we wouldn't have to deal with all the the mumbo jumbo that comes with it. You know, I, I just I don't get this the sensation with you know if they aren't standing out on the field. If I'm at a game. I'm not looking at the sideline to see, oh, is Leonard Fournette on the field or not? Or is, uh, you know, is Blake Bortles doing that? No, I'm not looking at that. I don't look at the flag. I don't give a shit, like, about the players on the sideline there. So if if you're a member of the media, why do you have to tweet that out? Why do you have to say something? Just let it go. Let it go. Like, you're only, you're only prolonging the agony and making this situation worse. You're not helping it by any means. I'm fine with them doing that. I don't care if they do that. Like, Marshawn Lynch did it. Nobody said anything. But Kaepernick does it. And people go nuts. Yeah. And they're, they're not going to suspend anybody. They're not going to suspend one goddamn player if there's a group of five or ten of them that all do it. Like, like kind of what happened. Yeah. If enough of them do it, they're not going to suspend you. They're all right. We got... 15, 10, 15, 20 guys here that want to do something. Let's raise a fist. Let's not come out. Let's go to a knee. Do whatever the hell we're going to do. They're not going to do a goddamn thing about it. Because they're not going to suspend 10 players, for Christ's sake. Not a, not a team is going to do that. So they can do whatever they want. Players have all the leverage. The funny thing about this is Kaepernick is the one who's credited with starting this thing. And he asked a veteran, what can I do? And the veteran said, don't sit, take a knee. That's what the goddamn veteran said. Yeah. Take a knee. Yep, Nate Boyer. Yep. That's what he said, and not a goddamn person knows about that. It's interesting, though, when you bring that fact up that they it, it gives them pause, and then they, they scramble for uh, 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 for reasoning or just if they're squirming. The reason, yeah. the reason why I'm not patriotic, the reason I don't give a shit about the flag, about the national anthem, is this was a country that was trying to get freedom from Europe while the guys who wrote the Constitution owned slaves. So that's why I don't give a shit or a fuck about the flag, about the national anthem, about your goddamn Constitution and your rights. When we had the balls to say, we don't we don't want to be under English rule again. We want our freedoms. Meanwhile, we owned black people do the work we don't want to do. It does seem like the, a bit of hip, hypocritical well, there. Yeah, um, so if anybody says stand for the flag, you gotta, you don't gotta cherry pick. You gotta take it all into account. There's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of bad stuff. Yep. Well, so take, take the anthem and, and cover it up their ass. Is what I say. Uh, let's see. Uh, last thing I have here, college basketball released a couple of rules last week, or the NCAA did, and uh, initially I was like, okay, this is pretty good. I, like, you're going to allow players that don't get drafted uh, in the right. NBA draft to come back to school, but then there's that little problem of, well, are they going to have a scholarship available to them, or, you know, what what are the schools going to do? Are you going to cut a recruit? I mean, so I think that's something that logistically it would be easy. Oh, just keep this, uh, keep a couple of scholarships on reserve, like have the NCAA award an extra scholarship or two per team, like depending on the player and stuff, who gets drafted, um, or who who declares and 
who doesn't get drafted, and then you know let them come back on the team if they so choose, or otherwise let them go find another team. I think that's very easy to do. They talk about the agents and the elite uh, rankings and whatnot, but I think it's dumb that they're asking USA Basketball to do it. Why don't you just look at you know a, a recruiting site like ESPN.com or whatever? You know they're ranking these guys. It's not USA Basketball's job or duty. So that's a that's a bad idea for college basketball. So I think it's a step in the right direction, but administering these rules or just it it's very cosmetic. I think that's a word that I saw. It, you're just trying to cover something up. It's a like I say, it's a step in the right direction, but we need more. We need more sustenance to this. I'm glad. I'm glad they can come back, and then you know if this happens, then they'll figure it out, and they can make changes next year. Once some guys go in the draft and they find out they don't get drafted, we'll see if they go back to the same team or what happens. All right. Uh, that's all I have. Anything else for you? Last year's rankings, David Johnson was one. He got hurt in week one. Ezekiel Elliott was four. He was suspended seven different times. That finally held. Odell Beckham, he was injured most of the year. Julio Jones couldn't catch fucking touchdowns. Mike Evans, was he any good last year? I don't know. Not really. No. No. LaShawn McCoy, he was number eight. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah, he was decent. Jordan Jordan Howard was nine. Jordy Nelson missed the goddamn year. He was 12. Jay Ajaye was 13. Uh, DeMarco Murray's not even in the goddamn league last year. He was number 14. T.Y. Hilton, Michael Thomas, Jesus H. Christ, Des Bryant, Lamar Miller, for Christ's sake, Devontae Adams, um... There's all of these top 20 guys last year, one ranking from Fox Sports. Half of them garbage. What a waste of goddamn time. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's an exercise. Hey, if there's a market for it and people want to do it, uh, by all means. Uh, I need your power stack and I need your baseball power rankings. Come on. Tonight. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's just. Oh, we don't want that. Okay, all right. Oh. Yeah, you, yeah, I know how you feel, I know how you feel about power rankings. SDSU women release their schedule. What? No, let's let's look at it right now. I checked earlier today and I just saw something about softball. I'm like I don't care about wow. softball releasing their fall schedule. Let's uh let's take a look here. Tough schedule awaits. Baylor. Well, that's what? Oh, we get Kim Mulkey right. this year. Oh, uh, glory be. It's in Las Vegas. Okay, calm down. It's in Las Vegas. Ah. Over Thanksgiving, they play Baylor. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Oregon. Oregon's been here before. Oregon comes back. Then they made the Elite Eight last year. Yep. Uh, and we'll last kicking we get from Green Bay. That'll be in Brooklyn this year, so everybody can see that. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast. Good team. Marquette. They open the season at Marquette. Good team. Uh, they play Creighton. Creighton's always good. Drake made the tournament last year. They'll beat the shit out of Drake. Um, so they got a, you know, seven, eight teams that made the tournament last year. Oregon, the best team. They'll play at home. Well, so you got Green Bay and Drake, and then there'll be you know, Baylor. So yeah, they lost to Florida good. Gulf Coast last year. Uh, you know, Creighton's a good team. Baylor, you know, got Baylor. Buffalo made it to the tournament last year. I think they had, they made it to the Sweet Sixteen, if I recall. So seven uh, top fifty teams on the schedule. So it should be another good schedule, good strength of schedule, uh, good RPI. Hopefully, SDSU again can end up with the top forty or fifty RPI. Hopefully they can win, win a couple of these games. It's a very impressive schedule. 
And the the men, I'm sure their schedule will come out later this week then. We'll break that down next week. But um, we know for sure that three of the opponents are Memphis, Nevada, and Northern Iowa. Uh, so we'll see what other soft schedule like teams will be around, like the, the Concordia, the presentations. Um, but at UMKC, I'm sure, will be on there. But uh, at least the men have some good... Uh, kind of like last year when they played Kansas and Colorado and Ole Miss. Hopefully, at least with Nevada, you know that that's going to be a good RPI builder if they could hang with them and, and win. Yeah, that'd be a hell of an upset. But yeah, the men, those are probably the biggest games. We we know we know what they are. So they're they're in their, their Canada trip right now. One game they lost for like sixty points, but they're out there. They're uh, doing stuff. Um. They uh, they have a, a wrestling championship belt they're giving away every week. Yep. You saw this for defense. So, uh, for defense, that's good though. Preach defense. Right. Preach it and uh, give away the championship belt. So I like that a whole hell of a lot. Yep, I agree. No, I you know because that was the one knock that you kind of heard uh, when T.J. Otzelberger got in it was like, oh, I mean, he's a great recruiter. Uh, you know, they could score a lot of points, but what about defense? So if if you're if you really want to hone in and, you know, encourage defensive play. I mean, we know Tevin King's very good defender. Brandon Key's pretty uh, good. I think he can get a few steals and whatnot. I think that this is this is good. Make him play for a belt. I like it. This first year, they had to, what, they had to play zone because, God, they couldn't play man defense, which I just never bought into. Schedule here, we got the School of Mines and Exhibition. Uh, season opener against Grand Canyon, and Dan Marley's still their coach, so Dan Marley will be in town. Wait, where where are you getting uh, this? Where are you getting this? Uh, sources. Oh. Um, Alabama State, that's going to be an embarrassment. Uh, they're at Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, apparently we're playing Kansas City at home. Uh, Northern Iowa at the Viking Stadium. Memphis, we're playing Southern. That should be an embarrassment. Savannah State, we got to play all the black schools, apparently. Uh, Nevada. Eastern Washington, uh, Montana at home, so that appears to be the majority of the schedule. All right, looking forward to that and uh, everything that comes with it. Next week, we'll get into more college football. We'll talk uh, probably a little more preseason. Too much to Travis's chagrin and uh, baseball and all the like. Uh, anything else before we say so long? That should about do it. High school football starts Friday in this state, so that's what's going on there. Well, hopefully it's cool. Um, I don't know about you, but we we were mid-90s all uh, weekend. It sucked. It was humid. It was gross out. We were low 90s. Cold front coming in tonight will be in the low to mid-80s. So I'm thinking some nice temperatures, I'm thinking. We can only hope. We can only hope. Uh, yes. Thank you, Krenz. Good luck in your fantasy baseball playoffs if they have not already started. Yes, thank uh, you. It's a busy, busy, busy time of year. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Right. See you later. Travis Crins joining us here, Sports Block Podcast. Uh, appreciate his time and perspective on things as always. A lot of good stuff in there. Um, again, I know you talk about the anthem, and it, it raises a lot of strong opinions on both sides. Uh, Travis is very passionate, of course, on the one side, and I'm I'm passionate about it too. Maybe not to the extent that uh, that he is, but I I I get it. Um, 
I get your, if you don't like it, that's totally fine. Just understand it and then understand the backstory here that you do have, you know, yeah, I mean, there was, Nate Boyer was the one, Green Beret, who said, yeah, Neil. And so, I don't know. It, it's a situation that unfortunately will linger uh, because Roger Goodell and the NFL owners are stupid and uh, just didn't work with the players on this, and now it's too little too late, so we'll see where that goes. But on to happier things, maybe. We'll get to we'll talk some serious college football stuff, Ohio State, Maryland with Charlie Hildebrand coming up next. Uh, and then also get into the SEC and ACC college football previews here. That's coming up next here on the Sports Block Podcast, which can be found now available on iTunes. Just search the Sports Block. And also follow me on Twitter at NDStacken, Facebook Nathan Stacken, with the link posted to the podcast middle to later part of the week. But up, coming up next, more college football talk. Charlie Hildebrand makes his season debut coming up here. Sports Block Podcast. All right, we continue here on the Sports Block Podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined by my good friend and resident college football expert, Mr. Charlie Hildebrand from the Sioux City Journal. Charlie, how are we doing? I'm good, I'm good. How are you, Stackhead? Very good, Charlie, thank you. College football is here. I feel like I should have like the you know the SEC on CBS music playing right now in the background or something, maybe some co- what's going on, but hey, college football is... I came up with my own parody song. Oh, yeah. You it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, beginning to look a lot like football season. Perfect. Perfect. Have you? Co- how many verses have you come up with? That's as much as I've come up with. It's still being <laughs> workshopped right now. Alright, very good. Well, yeah, college football is here, and unfortunately, college football has been in the news for all the wrong reasons here lately. Before we get into... Uh, a few of our conference previews today will be doing the SEC and ACC this week. I would be uh, remiss if I didn't ask you your, for your thoughts on the Urban Meyer situation and then the situation at Maryland, which uh, has really come into the spotlight here in the last week, the Maryland situation, that is. Uh, but Urban Meyer, let's get your thoughts on that first. Uh, what did you make of the whole thing regarding Urban Meyer, and uh, do you think he should be fired or not? I feel like he should be if we are to assume that everything that Urban Meyer has said generally in his state athletic office or department has said in their statement and what Brett McMurphy, I would imagine that they are, for the most part, generally, you know, true statements. I think if you take all the information together, it should lead to Urban Meyer being fired. If he only knew about the 2009 situation with Zach Smith, and, you know, especially if you take into what McMurphy was reporting, if he had the guy who was uh, the life coach for Urban Meyer, like, going to this woman and saying, don't press charges against this guy, like, that's really, really bad. Yep. No, I... I... Sorry, go ahead. Like, but, but it's it's not just like if it was just that, that would be bad. I don't know if I would say that one hundred percent needs to be fired. And then it, it happened again in twenty fifteen, and you know you've got the the pictures that uh, Courtney Smith had that she apparently was emailing to or not emailing, texting to Urban Meyer's wife, Shelley. Yep. You know, Urban, one of the one of the biggest control freak. I am in charge of every aspect of this program. 
leave no stone unturned. I find it unlikely that he wouldn't know. It wouldn't share this kind of information, or his wife wouldn't share this kind of information. Ship is so. I mean, they've it's publicized how op- how close they are and how much they tell each other and stuff. This would not be something that Shelley would have n- kept away from Urban. Exactly, and then if all of that was public at the time, and then they said, "Okay, we're going to fire him right there," I think they still could have gotten away with it there. But that they kept him on after that, and you can't claim that Urban Meyer didn't know at least of the allegations, because in his uh, the statement he had that he sent out on Twitter and he hasn't talked to anyone said that he said, "Well, I reported it," which means that he knew even even if he didn't know about it, he knew it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. So you've got someone who there's a possibility in '09, there's a possibility in '15, and they still kept him on staff. And then you combine that with the Brett Murphy, Brett McMurphy reports of having someone try to convince her not to press charges in 09 and along with, you know, the picture, the text message and pictures in 15. I think when you combine all that together, the, 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 the best case scenario is, oh, we didn't know for sure, but we kept this guy around anyways and he kept doing this stuff. And I think you can make a strong case at that in and of itself is worth firing. Mm-hmm. And then if you go any further than that, it just gets dramatically worse and worse and worse. Yeah, I I don't get why. I mean, they they talked about, you know, in 09, I think it was when, uh, you know, the first kind of issues started to come up between Zach and Courtney that Shelly and Urban really pushed them to counseling, helped them through counseling. So you, you already have a, a history of, Going back to 09 with with uh, with Zach Smith, and then of course in in 2015, you know it happens again. I just I find it really hard. Like, why would you go out of your way to defend your? And I'm not trying to belittle the position or the person here, but it's it's an associate head coach or your wide receiver head co- or wide receiver coach. I mean, this isn't some big hot name. Uh, guy, it's not an offensive coordinator. It's not a defensive coordinator. It's just it's a wide receiver coach. It seems like Urban Meyer went way uh, completely out of his way to make sure that he could do whatever he could to help Zach Smith out. Going back to the Florida days because he was on the Florida staff and comes up here to Ohio State with him. It just seems like he did as much as he could to help Zach Smith. So I think in that regard, yes, of course he he knew about it. He knew the history there, so he is. Is at fault for not doing more to stop it or even firing him. Like, just fire him right on the spot. I think that's the whole thing that makes this worse is that he just, it, I don't know, it's the inaction and well, the line. Well, tried too. to then cover it up at Big Ten Media Day. Right, just being yeah. Like, no, that's, none of that happened. That's not true. Nothing happened in 2015. And that's what makes this worse. Yeah. So, I completely agree. And then, like, even if, like, let's change this and not do domestic violence and let's not do, you know, football coaches. If, it, if Zach Smith is a teller at a bank, Urban Meyer is the manager of the tellers. Yep. So, much kind of like a football, you know, he's not in charge. I mean, well, we can talk about how maybe Urban's in charge of the university, but at least officially, on paper, he's not. You know, he's got to report to an athletic director. The athletic director's got to work report to a president, you know. So I guess you would say that athletic director Gene Smith would be like the vice president of the 
bank. Yep. And whoever the president or dean or whatever of Ohio State is, I don't even know who it is, would be the president or owner of the bank. But if if in 2009, Urban Meyer and Zach Smith were at a different bank, and they're like, oh, maybe Zach Smith's embezzling. And it's <laughs> like, well, we couldn't prove it. And then they both left. And then Urban brought them to this new bank in Ohio. And in 2015, it's like, well, maybe he's embezzling. And then they're like, well, we, we, we don't know for sure. And then all of a sudden later, it's like, yep, sounds like he's embezzling. It's just like, I don't know how you can be like, well, I mean, I reported it to the guy in front of me. And it's like, you still have the power to fire him in the first place. Yep. I mean, at some point, aren't you like, you know, maybe this seems like this is going too far. And it's just like, I don't know. No, I, I think it's probably a combination of four or five different things. I think he probably, you know, in some weird way, since, you know, Zach Smith is the grandson of Earl Bruce, who uh, hired Urban Meyer as a, as a GA or whatever. It's probably some weird, you know, yeah. he feels a connection that he's got to pay off there, even if it's, you know, not good for uh, Courtney Smith, and Zach so, Smith obviously seems like a psychopath. Yeah, so the, so the grandson can just be a criminal then. Yeah, and, and, and I anything. think it's also, you know, he's an incredibly powerful coach, yep. and just like this stuff, and every Ohio State fan or every Ohio State reporter is a certain way, because I don't think that's fair to lump them all together. But certainly there's probably a fair amount of people in Columbus who are just like, oh, that's fine, we don't care. Yep. Cover it up with winning football games, and it's just you know, a culture, like I want to be careful saying this, because clearly what's going on in Ohio State, while not good, is not nearly as bad as what's happened at Baylor and Penn State. So I'm not saying it's as bad as those, but you can see the kind of connections where it's just like, oh, really good, successful head coach, instead of trying to do something, it's just like, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to worry about this. And it's like, well, I mean, you should, especially... I mean, like, 20 years ago, I think this wouldn't have been that big of an issue for Ohio State. I mean, we could argue about how it should have been, but, I mean, it was just a different world 20 years ago. Absolutely. But, you know, post-Penn post State and post-Ray Rice video, I mean, it's just this is such a different thing. And it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know. We, we talked about this earlier on a different pro sports program, which mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to refer to those or not, how you're... Sure, but, the Google chat. But, like, so I, I, I don't know if this is going to end with Urban Meyer getting fired, you know, in the next week or so. But I think this is, in some way, she, like, let's put it this way. If he doesn't get fired at the end of the investigation, I still think, I feel like this puts kind of an expiration date on Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Because it's not this, but this is going to create enough noise and backlash and things that there will be something, whether it's six months or a year and a half or three years from now, in Ohio State will just be kind of like, you know, we fired most coaches for the last 60 years, and we're usually pretty good anyways, and we could find another good head coach. I mean, they fired Woody the Hayes, they fired Jim, uh, Tressel. Jim Tressel and John Cooper. Yep. And I, I don't think they're going to replace them with someone better anytime soon, but they can find someone who's not going to bring the same level of headaches and assholes same time either well and you go back to the time at florida i think espn.com ran an article um a couple of days after urban meyer was placed on administrative leave if not maybe it was the day after he had like 31 players were arrested at florida in his 10 years there 
Uh, he he was there when Aaron well, Hernandez. Like that, was. I think we should note that, like the arrests, and I'm not like a drug guy, but we should note that there's some of those are like alcohol or you know they were found with a little tiny bit of yep. like marijuana on them. And yep. I'm not saying that those aren't at least. I mean, it's it's still illegal. Yeah, but a few of those, and I don't remember somewhere, but there's a chunk of those that maybe aren't as serious. Well, but certainly, even if you take those away, there's still a lot of other arrests for incredibly serious things, including one where Aaron Hernandez, police were like, oh, are you maybe involved with this murder in Florida that's still unsolved to this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's why he, he was the head coach of Aaron Hernandez. He knew Aaron was a little bit of a troubled guy and would go back, you know, when he went back home to Connecticut. It's like, yeah, it's, oh, well, we have to, you know, we're always a little on edge whenever Aaron goes back home. I mean, it's just, it just kind of comes back up. And yeah, it was a wide variety of crimes and everything. But yeah, I think at some point it's just starting to catch up. And Urban Meyer, I think, regardless, I'd love to hear, and maybe he said more and maybe it's on Twitter or elsewhere and I just haven't seen it, but I'd love to hear more what like Kirk Herbstreet has to say about it. Heard from like, uh, from Chris Spellman, uh, early or when, yeah, yep. We heard from these guys. guys. Yep. We heard from these guys already. I I really haven't heard so much as, as to how strongly Kirk Herbstreet feels about this. And I kind of feel like he is the, face of college football in Ohio State to a degree. I mean, he's everywhere during college football season. So I'd, I'd really like to hear what his thoughts are. And I think this is a lose-lose situation for Ohio State. Because if you do yeah, fire him... Yeah, I 100% him, agree with that. Yeah, because if, if you fire him, you're getting rid of a coach and you're going to upset your fan base because they'll say, well, he didn't commit the crime. He was just maybe covering up. And it's let's be fair, let's point out that no... No charges were filed against Zach Smith, so that's that's an important key in this too. It's not like he was covering up a crime because no charges were filed, but it's still the whole thing with when this Me Too movement and the domestic violence stuff that like you can't have this happen. So if you get and it also doesn't look good that when Urban started at Ohio State, he instituted like a you can't ever you know hit or abuse women, and if you do, you're off the team. Yep. And then he had a running back who I think it was Carlos Hyde, who he didn't kick off the team, but gave like a four or five game suspension too. Yep. But it's trying to like be this, you know, definitely, you can't do that. That's terrible. And then you've got a coach who maybe was doing that the entire time. That that, it, And that's what I mean, like with, even if he doesn't get fired now, I think there's an expiration date with stuff because there's just going to be so many things like that. Yep. And, that, and, and technically it makes it so... You know, if eight months from now a football player beats up a girl on campus, I mean, we certainly hope that doesn't happen. Right. But if it does, the family of an abused daughter could then sue Ohio State saying, oh, you had a coach who kept this guy abusing his wife on staff all this time, and then you investigated it and you kept the football coach anyways, you didn't get rid of him, and you could, well, Ohio State, and I'm not saying that would happen, but potentially it opens up Ohio State to the legal problem yep. and as popular as the football team is and as much money as the football team makes it does not make nearly as much as the Ohio State University makes in terms of grant money and tuition money and things like that oh yeah and the public ridicule would be huge if they do keep him uh, because I think then it turns Ohio State into 
a, para, a pariah or a piranha of sorts. I mean, they, they, it just makes them, everyone wants to steer away. You don't really want to cheer or, you know, support this university. I'll, I'll say right now, I'm not a huge Ohio State fan, so maybe I'm a little biased in saying this, but I hope they do fire him. And if they do, I think it's just going to make a lot more people hate Ohio State and not want to do anything with them apart from the, the people in Columbus. So it. It, it remains to be seen what happens. I'm sure, you know, between now, they're, they're doing an investigation that will wrap up here soon. So we'll we'll hear, you know, in the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure we'll react to it here throughout our uh, preview. But in staying with the Big Ten, I mean, Ohio State's had issues. Penn State, of course, had issues with Joe Pa. Michigan State had some major issues. The Big Ten is filled with some bad schools, and it only continues now with Maryland, who had a, a player die this summer during workouts, and is now an investigation was done. ESPN did a big uh, investigative article on it, uh, and a lot of it's. I don't know how many people are on paid administrative leave right now, but it's. It's quite a few, I think, within the athletic department and on the coaching staff. Uh, the head coach, uh, Durkin, I believe is his name. Yep, DJ Durkin. And, you know, I think the strength training coach is there. So there are going to be a lot of heads that roll here at Maryland. Um, and I'm sure we'll find out. Maybe, you know, it'll come out right after we're done, you know, after we've recorded this interview and um, in this podcast. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of heads rolling there at Maryland, but you have this issue now. Uh, it just sounds like a, a bad culture there, you know, yelling and uh, belittling the players. It, it, it's very toxic there at Maryland, and it's it's just not good for the university at all. Yeah, I mean, like, Ohio State thing's supposed to be wrapped up in the next week, but I could potentially see them maybe extending it and it taking longer. I don't think a lot of this Maryland stuff's going to take an incredibly long amount of time. The the the, the head co- or the strength coach, I would bet money I don't even have on. Like I would call people to borrow money to bet that he's going to be fired. You want to bet you my know, house? Having seizures and stuff, and that the, it takes him an hour to call the ambulance. I mean, it's just like there's there's no way you're not going to get fired for that. I'm 99.7% sure this is going to end with DJ Durkin getting fired. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you never want to say 100% sure, but I don't know how he's going to get out of this either. And I mean, I, I don't know. And, and like, in theory, I'm okay with having like a tough, you know, hard-nosed, disciplined coach. I don't have a problem if you yell at players, but certainly there's like a line where you can go too far. And, you know friend of the program, Mark Distraxler, brought this up earlier. That apparently they were, like, throwing weights at players. Yep. Like, yeah, you can't do that. Forcing people to eat to the point that, like, they're throwing up. It's like, you know, that's like serial killer stuff there. Yep. I mean, that's, that's bad. The the player is Jordan McNair from Maryland. And you're right. I mean, if, if there's just – I don't know how they survive it. And I know it's, it's two completely different things. So I, I want to be – completely up front here there are two different situations but let's say that it's urban meyer or a coach of urban meyer stature at maryland and a guy like uh durkin at ohio state if i'm ohio state i like and durkin did what urban meyer did he's gone regardless because it's it's he's just a name it's it's no big deal Maryland, I would think Urban Meyer also would be gone. Like, I'd place more money that Meyer would be gone 
for what happened at Maryland than I do Ohio State, but I think it would still give Maryland some pause because he's Urban Meyer. Again, two completely different situations. I know I'm trying to compare apples to oranges, but don't you agree that the name recognition here of the coach has something to do with this here? I get what you're saying, and I agree that Durkin would be fired quicker if he was the, if the, what happened, or if he was the head coach at Ohio State where the Zach Smith stuff happened. I think they would use, based on his record, they would just very quickly be like, yeah, you're fired, we're not dealing with this. I think any head coach, I, I don't think if it was if Urban Meyer or Nick Saban at Maryland right now that that would make a difference, really. I mean, they might, I could put, I mean, like, the only thing I can think of is maybe stretching it for two or three days longer trying to, you know, test the waters, but I, I with everything we know that's come out of Maryland, assuming it's true, I don't have any reason to believe it's not true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, occasionally you find weird things that someone got something wrong, but assuming it's true, I think that would lead to, to anybody getting fired. Minnesota also had issues, it should be noted, last year or something. I know, like, they suspended a bunch of players, and then they sued. So that was a whole situation there, kind of under uh, Tracy Clays and that whole deal. Um, So Minnesota's had issues. What's the next Big Ten school that's going to run into an issue here? If we play hypothetical, it's not a good hypothetical that we want to play. It's like Rutgers. Rutgers doesn't do a whole lot of things right, so... Well, you know, Rutgers, I mean, I should say, this isn't as bad as some of the other things. But Rutgers had a thing a few years ago with where, uh, what was his name? Kyle Flood was the head coach, who had like a couple of decent years there. I'm trying to remember what it was he got fired for, but it was something where, like, uh, like something with, like, players getting grades or money or something. I don't know. All I remember is it was like, he showed up to some meeting and they had video of it and he was wearing like a Rutgers shirt and a Rutgers hat and like a Rutgers football and he was like, oh man, if you were dressed anonymously, like nobody would recognize you because who would care? But you know, when you're wearing something that says Rutgers football and you say, I, I don't know. And this so I guess I will change my answer to, well, you can't say Indiana because Kevin Wilson got fired from Indiana for allegedly like abusing players or whatever, so... And I mean, Rutgers had the issue with Mike Rice Jr., the me, uh, the men's head basketball coach, for a while. He was kind oh, yeah, of doing I this. I forgot about that too. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I mean, Big Ten, where uh, where bad shit happens, I guess. Can't put, can't, they gotta stop yelling, complaining about the SEC and paying players. Yeah. And why, hell, yeah, why don't we just throw Baylor into the Big Ten, too, while we're at it? So, that aside now, we can actually get into uh, the the previews here of the conferences. Again, we're going to do SEC and ACC today. We'll do, uh, or this week. Next week will be Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12. And then the third week, we'll go over the playoff teams, Heisman, and any other noteworthy uh storylines that you're looking at me you know talk about Notre Dame Boise State Idaho no Idaho's in the FCS did you Idaho's in the FCS it's just so weird this year but anyway let's start with uh, the best football conference in the land the SEC home to of course Alabama who won the championship last year coming back to a to a to a I very it's very close pronunciation so I'll, I'll 
I'll accept it. Uh, he and Jalen Hurts. It's almost like when we when we've talked about college football this year, it's two teams: Alabama and Ohio State. Alabama, with of course, with the the QB uh, battle between Jalen Hurts and Tua. Um, I mean, it's it seems like for the SEC, of course, Alabama is that team at the top that no one's going to touch, and it's almost a foregone conclusion that they're going to win the SEC or at least the SEC West and make it to the college football playoff, doesn't it? I would agree generally. I don't. I don't want to say it's a foregone conclusion they'll win the SEC because they, they didn't win it last year. Right. And yep. I think Georgia has enough talent that if they played in the SEC title game, like I, I would favor Alabama, but certainly I wouldn't be stunned. You know, if a team that lost in overtime, you know, in the national title game, found a way the next year to win by you know seven or. or five points or something yep. like that. I, I'm sorry, I meant the but, SEC you know, West. Or with, that with they all would... that said, like, I think you're crazy to not think that Alabama would still be the favorite based off everything that's happened in college football for the last decade now. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And you mentioned Georgia. Georgia does lose Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb and Roquan Smith, but they have good running backs waiting in the wings behind them. You have Jake Fromm, uh, who will be in his sophomore year. You have a good quarterback behind him, too. You'll have a good defense. So Kirby Smart continues to make them a very uh, dominant team. And their schedule, I mean, it's it's fairly easy overall. I mean, I, you get Auburn at home. You get, of course, Florida in the, the cocktail that they don't want to call, or the Great America Cocktail Party, which they don't want to call that anymore, but we still will. Uh, the And then you have a trip to LSU, and I don't, I'm not huge on LSU this year. I, I feel bad for Eddie O, because we like Ed Orgeron, um, but I just don't have LSU in the card, so I think Georgia wins the SEC East fairly convincingly, and I don't think they really get any sort of uh, competition from the likes of a Florida or South Carolina or anyone like that. I would generally agree with that. I think I think Georgia's still like really good. Don't get me wrong. With all their losses, I don't think they're as good as last year. But I think they're like a nine and three, ten and two quality team with an eleven and one or twelve and zero schedule. And I, I, I get, I've got them going eleven and one with their only loss being at LSU. And I think I'm a little. I mean, I'm not super high on LSU. I think I'm a little higher than you are. But that's just mostly because it's incredibly hard to play there. And, yep. you know, while Georgia's good, I don't think Georgia's going to have a great offense this year. So, you know, you take that, potentially a night game, I certainly could see, you know, Georgia being held to 14 or 17 points. And then, you know, when that happens, it's like, well, yeah, I could see LSU getting to, to 20 or something like that. But, I, I mean, I, I think probably like most people in the United States taking stuff before the season – Probably what you have too. I've got Georgia and Alabama winning their conferences and playing in the SEC title game. I do as well, um, and I, I agree with you with the Georgia LSU game. I mean, that's the the first game, or I think maybe the really the only game that I'm concerned with Georgia losing that in the game against Florida. Uh, but yeah, Alabama, and for me it was tough picking Alabama. Just for the record, right? I have Georgia and Alabama both twelve and zero. Uh, heading into the SEC title game. I might switch that to, you know, like you with that one loss for Georgia being to LSU. But assuming Georgia and 
Alabama get in. And if they were both to be undefeated, it it seems ridiculous that it, the loser would be out of the college football playoff, barring you know the, maybe you know a Washington or a Notre Dame or you know someone else, someone from the Big Ten or ACC going undefeated too, right? With Alabama, I agree. I could potentially now. It would depend on what happens in the other conferences. I could maybe see Georgia getting left out just because the only uh, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but I think in theory their toughest non-conference game is Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech went five and six last year, I think. If Georgia Tech's not very good, and then you combine that with the other teams Georgia's played. You know, especially if LSU struggles and goes six and six, if Auburn has one of their weird years where they're seven and five or eight and four, I think it's possible. I mean, I don't know likely, but possible that Georgia's twelve and zero hasn't beaten anybody the whole season with more than seven or eight wins, and then loses to Alabama, and we're just saying like, oh well, yeah. I mean, they only have one loss, but they unfortunately for them didn't play that many good teams either. Uh, let's see. I don't think that'll necessarily shake out that way, but you know, because I think Auburn will probably be good, but I, I can see that happening. Couple of uh, new faces. You got Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Uh, you have uh, Dan Mullen leaving Mississippi State for Florida. So, I mean, and I like Auburn too with Jared Stidham coming back uh, as quarterback. I think that's intriguing there, and see what Gus Malzahn can can do at Auburn but really I think after Alabama and Georgia the level just drops off so significantly I have Auburn right now in the eight and four to nine and three range I like Florida I think a little bit more than perhaps most people I have them going nine and three Mississippi State and South Carolina right in there I have Texas A&M at seven and five how do you read into what Jimbo Fisher will be able to do in year one at A&M that's a good question. I don't know. It's going to be a dramatic shift. You know, under Kevin Sumlin, you know, they more or less ran an air raid offense. They are going to be very, I mean, the Florida State are assuming that Texas A&M looks like how Florida State looked under Jimbo Fisher. You know, they're going to look like how Alabama looked six or seven years ago. Or, you know, they're going to have a tight end and a fullback and a running back. Sometimes maybe not a fullback, but. And that's a very large shift. Like, I, I think that Texas A&M will probably end up being good under Jimbo Fisher. I don't think they're going to get that national title that they carved. You know, did you see that in the offseason that, like, their athletic director was like, we know you're going to win a national championship. So they put, like, future national title 20 and then put, like, they put, like, 202 and then a question mark. Oh, I didn't so, like, see that. Like, it was going to no. come between 2020 and 2029. All that's to say, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to get that at Texas A&M. But I think that they will probably be better than they've been over the last 10 or 15 years. Maybe not a lot in year one. I mean, I've got A&M going 8-4. So, I mean, I think they'll be about as good as they were last year. I have them going 7-5. and five. Uh, losses to Clemson, Alabama, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Auburn. I'm guessing the only difference between you and I is the loss to South Carolina. Um, I heard some of the losses you said, uh, not all of them. Yep, I uh, got them looping to Clemson, Alabama, Mississippi State, and Auburn. Yep. You're correct, but I do not have them losing to South Carolina. 
All right. Uh, any other like major storylines from the SEC uh, that you're paying attention to or that you're intrigued by headed into the year? There's a few that are kind of interesting. One is Drew Locke appears to be the Missouri quarterback mm-hmm. has the most NFL talk and hype surrounding him. I think he's a talented guy, but also lost his offensive coordinator, Josh Heupel, to be the head coach at UCF. Second, do you know who Missouri replaced? Josh Heupel with as offensive coordinator. Nope. Dallas Cowboys receivers coach and former Tennessee football coach. Oh, Dooley? Oh, my God. The guy... He's never been an offensive coordinator before. And I should preface this, is this is just through one or two Cowboys tweets that someone online put together. And that doesn't necessarily mean that all Cowboys offensive players and receivers reflect this thought. But there were Cowboys players in, like, you know, off-season mini-camp stuff and early in training camp that were like, this is great, we've got a receivers coach now who's teaching us how to run routes the right way. <laughs> and you hear stuff like that, and it's like, you know, I don't know if this is going to work great with him as an offensive coordinator, no. even if he's got a quarterback. No, I would uh, I would agree with that. Uh, yikes. Uh, and then a couple other quick yep. things. Um, you mentioned Auburn. The thing I do like about, I mean, I've, I've got Auburn going 9-3, and three, but things to like about Auburn, they bring back their quarterback in Stidham, and yep. other, other, are unlike Georgia and Alabama, you know who Auburn's quarterback's going to be. There's not a, well, it could be this guy and this guy. Whenever you have a potential quarterback situation like that, sometimes weird things happen and you lose games you shouldn't. I'm not saying that'll happen to Georgia or Alabama, but it's, it's not an issue for Auburn in the first place. And Auburn probably has the best defensive line in the SEC, too. And that's, there's a lot of teams that are really good at their defensive line. So that's a uh, a nice thing that they have in their back pocket. And then the other interesting thing for me is, you know, Dan Mullen left Mississippi State. Mississippi State's been better over the last seven or eight years than they've been in for forever. And it's uh, Joe Moorhead, the Penn State offensive coordinator, who's replacing him. Moorhead was really good with Penn State, and uh, Mississippi State brings back a lot of guys on offense, including quarterback Nick Fitzgerald, who's pretty good. I don't know that Mississippi State will routinely be able to win nine or ten games a year in the SEC West, but with Fitzgerald back at quarterback and a good offensive mind, I can see Mississippi State being good this fall. I've got Mississippi State going ten and two, and I've got a meeting Alabama. There we go. I've wow. still got Alabama winning the West. Uh, that's that's a great pick right there. Uh, Fitzgerald's okay from the injury that he suffered last year, right? Because that was a pretty gruesome. Was it ankle injury or was it a knee? I think it was a knee, and that was in November of last year. My under I don't know. I'm not a diehard Mississippi State fan. My understanding is he's healthy and that he's not limited in any way as of now. I mean, certainly if he's injured, that would completely change things. But I'd have to change some picks quick. I I really like I I like that uh, that move by you to put Mississippi State at ten and two. I think that's I think that's very solid and certainly could happen. So let's go in the SEC West. Uh, who um, who do you have uh, from top to bottom? Who do you like in the or what what do you have in the SEC West? In terms of conference, finish. yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, like just the record and and uh, for the for the teams in the West. I've got Alabama going eleven and one. 
I've got both Auburn and Mississippi State winning the same conference game. Or I've got I've got Auburn going nine and three, finishing second. I've got them and Mississippi State finishing both six and two in conference, and Auburn beating Mississippi State, so they would own the tiebreaker over them. Uh, I've got Mississippi State third at ten and two overall. Uh, Texas A&M fourth at eight and four. LSU fifth at eight and four. Uh, Arkansas sixth at six and six. Didn't think I'd have Arkansas with six wins, but I've got them with six. And then Ole Miss at five and seven. I like it. Uh, just just for comparison's sake, I have Alabama right now twelve and zero. Auburn nine and three. Mississippi State eight and four. And then uh, what do you got? Texas A and M at seven and five. LSU and Arkansas both six and six, but LSU uh, gets the tiebreaker uh, because they'll have the win over uh, Arkansas. I think I have them with the same number of conference losses. And then Ole Miss down there at the bottom at three and nine, not winning a conference game. Too bad. So sad for you, Ole Miss. How about in the SEC? The records, but the same order. Yep. Uh, how about in the SEC East? Oh, and by the way, one quick note on Auburn. Uh, they are going to be breaking in a new kicker because Carlson got drafted by the Vikings, and uh, he looked pretty good in the first preseason game against Denver. So that's something to look at, too, with Auburn. But anyway, the SEC East, what do you have uh, order in that conference or in that division? I've got Georgia first at 11-1. and I've got South Carolina second at 8-4. and Uh... Even with all the bad things I said about Derek Dooley, and I think there will be times he's not good, I don't think a lot in the SEC East is good outside of Georgia. So kind of by default, I've got Missouri and Florida at uh, both at 7-5, and 4-4, four and four, but uh, Missouri beating Florida. Uh, fifth, I've got Kentucky. I, I get fifth and sixth. I've got both Kentucky and Tennessee at 5-7, and seven, but I've got Kentucky beating Tennessee. And then uh, Vanderbilt last at three and nine, zero and eight in conference. Poor Vanderbilt. Uh, I have Georgia twelve and zero. Like I say, I might change that to eleven and one with the game against LSU. Then I have Florida at nine and three, South Carolina at eight and four, Missouri and Kentucky both six and six, and then uh, did I mention? If I didn't mention South Carolina eight and four, and then uh, Tennessee and Vanderbilt both five and seven, so uh, Alabama versus Georgia. You got Florida a bit higher than me. I, I think that Dan Mullen's going to be good at Florida. I don't know if they'll win the national title or not. I think he'll have this. I think he will make Florida fans happy. I think it'll be kind of a up and down bumpy road the first year though. That's fair. That that's totally fair. I don't. I don't have uh, any quarrels with that. So, SEC Championship game, Alabama versus Georgia. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Georgia wins it and exacts revenge on Alabama in the SEC Championship game. Uh, Do you like Alabama? I like your pick. I hope you're right. Too many times when we've done this for the sports lounge or the sports block over the last six or seven years, I've said, nope, this is the year, Alabama. Losing, and then they just seem to never lose when I want them to. So I, I've got Alabama winning. I don't fault you for that at all. Now let's go to the ACC, where my Virginia Tech Hokies are probably not going to factor into the national championship talk or 
maybe even the ACC championship talk, but I'll still hope. I'll still pull for him. Uh, this is Clemson's conference to lose. Clemson looks really good. You get Kelly Bryant back for a second year. I think that's uh, under center. That's good. Their defense is going to be fine. I mean, Clemson is head and shoulders the best team in this conference, don't you think? I think of all the Power 5 conferences, the most shocking thing would be if Clemson did not win both the Atlantic Division and the AP. There's other ones that I think might be surprising. Like, I think a lot of people maybe would be surprised if, you know, Washington or Alabama didn't win their conference or maybe Oklahoma. But nothing would be more stunning if Clemson was not the ACC champion. Yeah. I mean, they just are so strong. I mean, Dabo Sweeney has done such an amazing job there, uh, really, over the last four or five years. Completely agree. They have upgraded. I mean, it's not like Clemson recruited poorly before. You know, back when it was Tommy Bowden and everyone made fun of him for Clemson all the time. Like, they always had dudes, but they've just got more dudes now. And I think, to me, the most interesting thing about Clemson is what are they going to do at quarterback? They've got... uh, I'm blanking on his name now. Kelly Bryant, back at quarterback, started all of last year. The one game they lost in the regular season to Syracuse was when he got hurt and didn't finish. But they also brought in the true freshman, and I'm blanking on his name. I think it's Hunter Lawrence or something like that. Mm-hmm. Who's supposed to be a much, or Trevor Lawrence, supposed to be a much better passer. To me, the interesting thing is going to be is I think Clemson can easily win the conference with Kelly Bryant. In fact, I think the safest thing just to win the ACC would be to have Kelly Bryant your starter for the whole year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Kelly Bryant could beat Alabama to win a national title, though. Where potentially the other guy, the freshman kid, I think is a good enough passer that he might be good enough to beat Alabama. But the problem is, is you can't roll him out come playoff time. So he would have to start many, many games in the regular season. If Clemson was going to lose, it would be because they're starting a freshman quarterback. And I think that's the interesting thing Dabo's going to kind of have to balance. that The quarterback who makes you most likely to get to the playoff maybe isn't the quarterback that's most likely to win the playoff. And how you kind of like, how how are you going to deal with that situation while you also have a freakishly talented roster and the best defensive line in all of college football? I might be a little higher on Miami than I should be. Um, I think the U is going to be back this year. What this is Mark Rick's second year as head coach. They did a lot of good things last year, but who? I mean, I think third year. Third year. Okay. Is how many years have they been removed from Kaya? Is this going to be the first year or the second? I believe this is the second year after. Wait. Hold on. This is either the third or the fourth year without Brad Gaia. He was there in 2015. I don't remember if he was there in 2016. Who who was their quarterback last year? Why am I blanking on this guy? I also am blanking on his name. They had someone named Rogier. I honestly don't remember if Rogier was their quarterback or their running back. I think Rogier sounds... I think it was Malik Rogier or something like that. Yeah, I mean, because we know of of Braxton Berrios there, the, the wide receiver. He made some big plays. Uh... Either way, I just think that the Hurricanes, you know, that there's something going on there with them. They have a tough opening game with LSU, but I believe that's a neutral site field. 
And honestly, their schedule really, I think, helps them a lot. Maybe, you know, will they lose to Georgia Tech? I think that's a possibility. The only other game I think that's really even difficult for Miami this year is going to be a trip up to Blacksburg to take on Virginia Tech. Uh, so I'm really bullish on Miami, and I have them going 11-1, and I think that's maybe slightly ridiculous, but I, I don't know. I just think they have a lot I going mean, I don't think it's ridiculous. They, I think they went 10-2 last year, mm-hmm. or 11-2, or wait, hold on. They went, They were. I think they were undefeated, then they lost to Pittsburgh, then they lost to Clemson in the ACC title game, then they lost to Wisconsin in the Orange Bowl. In a game they maybe could have won. Mm-hmm. I think they went eleven and three. So, I mean, I don't think it's crazy. I mean, I've got them going ten and two, and just in a college football's weird and weird things happen. I've got them losing at Boston College. That's the weird one. And then I've also got them losing to your Hokies. Very good. Well, so that... Like I, I think Miami's really good. I just don't think they're one of the five best teams in the country. So like they're really good, but they're not Alabama or Clemson good. Like I say, I I am I'm not the the expert when it comes to this. So when I was kind of going through the win loss record and everything, I was just kind of like I say going through everything. I have Virginia Tech at eleven and one, with the only loss being the opening week to Florida State. I think Duke's going to be a tough game for them. I think Miami is certainly going to be difficult, and I know the Hokies are going to blow it somewhere where you just don't think it. Something's Something bad's going to happen. They've had kind of a tumultuous offseason. They've had some issues with Josh Jackson, their quarterback. Their secondary has lost some players, including some guys to the supple- uh, one guy to the supplemental draft. So it it's going to be tough for that defense for Bud Foster and everything. But I'm still going to ride Virginia Tech uh, to an 11-1 and record. I know it's crazy, but I'm going to keep doing it. I think... You're you're higher on them than I am. I think I think they'll still be good. I've got them going nine and three. Yep. Kind of a you know anyway they had some guys on the on the defense in the last like month or two like you kick off the team and get hurt too. I mean they've had a lot of I like they had to replace defensive guys anyway. And they've had to replace extra defensive guys over the last two months. Yep. I think this is going to be sort of like a a year where they're pretty good, but they're kind of building for the following year. Where you know you get through this year where they go nine and three, you know even if they lose a bowl game and go nine and four, and then the next year you got a chance to win eleven games and potentially win the ACC. Uh, tell me about North Carolina State. Maybe this is the the team that I'm most off on. I think North Carolina State though kind of surprised people last year, and maybe if they were a year early in in really. Uh, making a stand in the ACC, but I think they have a chance to really do some good things this year. I know the thing I know the most about them is they had a whole lot of really good defensive linemen and their defensive linemen that were really good are gone. Yep. The bright side is other than Clemson, who we can agree is fantastic, I don't think there's a lot else going on in the, in the Atlantic division in year one that's going to be, or this year, that's going to make you think, oh man, these teams are going to be nasty. I mean, I think Florida State's going to eventually be good under Willie Taggart. Most of the places he's coached, they are not very good in year one. I think it might be kind of a building mediocre year for Florida State. Agreed. You know, Louisville, I think Louisville will be okay, but I don't think you're going to get better by losing Lamar Jackson. Honestly, I've got Louisville, Florida State, and NC State all three going 8-4, 5-3 in conference and, like, beating each other. 
and then obviously losing to Clemson. I'm really down on Louisville, and I think it's more just because they don't have Lamar Jackson this year. I don't know what the what the plan is going forward. What am I missing here with Louisville? For me, it's not that there's anything I look at that I love Louisville. I think Bobby Petrino is a good coach, though. And it's just that I, I don't know that, you know, like I said, in the first year for Willie Taggart at Florida State, you know, I don't look at Florida State, North Carolina State, Wake Forest, Syracuse, and Boston College and think like, oh, man, there's no way Louisville can beat any of those teams. I mean, I've got, them, I've got Louisville getting smoked by Alabama in week one. Yep. And then I've got them losing to uh, Georgia Tech, Clemson, and at Syracuse. All right. So but I do have them beating Florida State and Oh, uh, let's see. I think I, I do as – no, I don't have them beating Florida State. I don't. Uh, but let, let's go here, division record here. Uh, or Before we get to that, are there any other intriguing ACC storylines that you're looking forward to this season? I think the Clemson thing with the quarterbacks I mentioned is the most intriguing. After that, you know, it's Miami. Can you kind of take that another step in year – we can't remember what year it is for Mark Rick, but it's – it's certainly not his first year. Can you continue to kind of blossom into being Miami? And then I guess the only other one is, you know, how long is it going to take at Florida State for Willie Taggart? I mean, I think he's – I think we can agree that it looks – there's a lot of things you look at and think he's got a chance to be pretty good there. But it might take a year or two. So, And then I, I don't know. I'm kind of a sucker for stories, I guess, and Wake Forest has kind of improved each year in the last few years under Dave Glossman. So that would be my final one. I think Wake Forest went eight and five last year. Can they maybe not even build it on that? Can they just not fall off a cliff and find a way to win at least six games to go to a bowl game again and continue, you know, kind of shucking the trend as the small I think they're the smallest power five school by enrollment. So I mean they've got a lot of disadvantages at Wake so let's go uh, start in the Atlantic Division. You have Boston College, Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, North Carolina State, Syracuse, and Wake Forest. How do you see the Atlantic shaking out this season? I've got Clemson going 11-1, and easily winning the division. Uh, then I've got Louisville, Florida State, and NC State. All three going 8-4, and 5-3 and three in conference. I've got Wake Forest going 7-5. and five. Uh, Clemson's one loss I have at Wake Forest because crazy things happen. I don't feel super confident in that. Mm-hmm. But like we talked about before with Alabama, you think they're going to lose one? I think Clemson's going to lose one somewhere, and I wanted to pick a road. Right. I've got Syracuse going 6-6 six and because six I know their head coach, Dino Babers, is a Game of Thrones fan, and I watched him <laughs> on uh, – on the, uh, the the ESPN thing for the national title game where they've got the coaches' room. Mm-hmm. It was one of the two, not last year, but one of the two years before where uh, Alabama and Clemson played in the national title game. That whenever they asked Dino anything, he was just like, yep, I just RPO it. Sprint to the line, run pass option that guy. And he was just like excited and just like that was his answer for everything. And I thought it was funny and it made me like him, so... I think I picked them to go 6-6 six and six last year, and they didn't do it. They'll probably disappoint me again. But I got Syracuse going 6-6, six and six, and I've got Boston College going 4-8, and eight, which I kind of feel dumb about because I, the last few years, I always have Syracuse and Boston College wrong. I'm optimistic about Syracuse. It blows up in my face. 
then I think Boston College will be poorly and then they'll win seven games. So I'm oh. probably wrong on those two. So I have Clemson going twelve and zero. Again, I there's something about me and going with the undefeated teams. I don't. It's not going to happen. But uh, kind of how I, I, I mean, see. good. They they were undefeated a few years ago until they lost to Alabama in the national title game. I'll mean, just say this: I out of all the teams I have undefeated, which I think I only have three, I feel most confident in Clemson. And I'm just I'm merely going through the regular season. I think I'm not reasonable. I'm not going to to the championship game. But right now, Clemson at twelve and zero. I have North Carolina State at ten and two. I know it's crazy, so I I just I don't know. So I, I I'm just picking them there. Florida State, I have them at eight and four. Louisville is going to be six and six, and then uh, what do we got here? Wake Forest at five and seven, and Syracuse, uh, Boston College and Syracuse both at four and eight. So uh, we're in agreement at least on the Boston College there. How about in the Coastal Division? How do you see this shaking out? I've got Miami going ten and two, six and two in conference to win the coastal. I do have them losing at Virginia Tech, but Thank I've got you. Virginia Tech going nine and three, five and three in conference. So no, uh, no ACC title game for your Hokies this year, unfortunately. Damn. Georgia Tech, who to me is essentially like Auburn, they're the two most chaotic teams in college football, where you never know year to year. People think they're going to be good; they implode. People think they're going to suck. They win 10 games and play in the New Year's Six Bowl. I never know of Georgia Tech. They went 5-6 and six last year. I've got Georgia Tech going 8-4. Um, I've got Pitt going 7-5. and five. Uh, Duke going 6-6. Six and six. And then uh, bringing up the rear, I've got North Carolina and Virginia both going 3-9. and nine. Uh, But Virginia goes 0-8 in conference, and North Carolina beats Virginia. I one conference. So I'm not very high on Pittsburgh this year. I'm a little higher on Virginia, I guess, than I am Pittsburgh. But I have my Hokies finishing 11 and one, winning the Coastal because they have the tiebreaker with Miami. Uh, Miami also will be 11 and one. Then uh, who do we have here? Duke at eight and four. That's my surprise. I think Duke could uh, is going to do some things this year. I uh, Georgia Tech. Not just coach. It could happen. Yep. I have uh, Georgia Tech at six and six. Virginia at five and seven, uh, UNC at three and nine, and Pitt at two and ten. That's uh, I feel well, like I Pitt really bad at two and ten. Yeah, I I feel like I'm way off with Pittsburgh, but uh, yep, uh, no thank you, Pitt. You're gonna get screwed this year. I mean, you take a look at if you take a look at Pittsburgh's <laughs> off uh, their their non-conference schedule. It is. They play Penn State. Who are their other non-conference games? They play Albany, and they're at UCF. So no, thank you. You've got to have another non-conference game. Oh, I'm they, sorry. They, I'm they sorry. We play eight. Yeah, at Notre Dame too. Oh, at Notre Dame also. Yeah, certainly wouldn't be stunned if they lost to UCF. They were pretty good last year. I think they've got very little shot of beating Notre Dame or Pitt or uh, Penn State. I, Spoiler alert, I won't tell you which. I have Pitt beating one of those two though, between Notre Dame and Penn State. I mean, they could beat Georgia Tech at home. They could beat UNC at or on the road. I have them beating Syracuse at home. I have them losing to Duke at home. And then, I mean, at Wake Forest, at Virginia, I have them losing that. They're going to lose to my Hokies, I would hope. Uh, I just don't – I just not very high on Pitt. So – 
the ACC championship game, Clemson versus Virginia Tech for me. Uh, Clemson, of course, is going to win. And you have Miami against Clemson. What say you for the who's winning the ACC? Part of me doesn't like picking the same championship game as last year, which it was Clemson and Miami. I really don't like picking the same two teams with the same team winning again, but I think that's the most likely scenario. So I've got Clemson beating Miami in the ACC title game, probably by a comfortable 15 to 17 points. So they can get, uh, then they can start flexing while they get the ACC title trophy, getting ready for the playoff. Very good. Well, it's uh, the first of the three-week college football preview. Uh, next week, again, Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12 uh, previews. Uh, Charlie, great to talk to you. Great to hear your voice, and I look forward to uh, speaking with you throughout the college football season. Thank you, my friend. Sounds good. I miss your musk already. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. And, and with that, Charlie Hildebrand has dropped off which is okay uh great to hear his voice great to talk some college football again uh so yeah there we go acc sec we, we weren't too far off there i mean we have three of the f- same four teams in the championship game so that's that's good i suppose um and we're, we're off a little bit here but yeah i would i'll take him at like i don't know about north carolina state or pittsburgh i mean that's just probably off on lsu in the sec it's just weird it's weird um it's why we have charlie hildebrand on it's great great to talk with him and he'll be on throughout the college football season uh on the sports block podcast breaking it all down for us so appreciate his time and efforts as always uh you thank you for listening to this week's edition of the sports block podcast again you can find us available on itunes just search the sports block also follow me on twitter at andy stacken facebook nathan stacken we'll have a link to the podcast posted to the middle to later part of the week uh, again, thank you for listening. Next week, again, more college football talk. What Travis, of course, to talk, uh, probably talk more college football with him as well. And, you know, baseball, all the baseball, see what is going on um, on the baseball and uh, football. We'll talk NFL, too, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah, that's a lot of it. That's pretty much it. So thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Again, um, tune in again next week. Download us again. Click on us. Whatever you do, listen to us as we talk more college football. It's always great. It's a great time of the year. Football season is right around the corner. Get rid of this damn hot weather. That's for sure. So thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Sports Block Podcast. Nathan Sacken, uh, hoping saying, uh, hoping that you have a good week. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you tune in again next week for another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. <laughs>